Mickey's notes. Um, I give you the copyright on it. You have the right to copy. Um, so anyway, uh, uh, and uh, to use them as you see fit. I'm going to go ahead and get rolling. It's 945 anyway, and tell you up front that uh, I have to walk out of here at 1020 uh, due to making sure I wind up needing more time to get to LAX than I anticipated. And so uh, I've got a flight uh, leaving um, here in a little bit and uh, need to be back before tonight. And so uh, I'm only going to go 35 minutes or so, which is most people's dream, probably. And so, uh, uh, and so if I don't get a chance, I'm probably not going to get a chance to really talk to you afterwards. I'm going to have to leave. And, um, uh, but you are welcome to email me. I will send you these notes as well as any other questions you might have. I'll, I'll do my best to honor them, as I do every year uh, if you're in my classes as well. Well, if you missed yesterday... Uh, then I want you to know this is not a, uh, a, a, a really session in which I'm bashing technology. I think I told you yesterday that technology is an awesome servant. It's just a terrible master. And, uh, and so yesterday, if you weren't here yesterday, I do want to encourage you to get the recording. Um, as really, I talked about a really working theology of technology, believe it or not. And I took you on just a little tour through Scripture about some of the places in scripture where technology comes up. And I had a lot of comments yesterday about, I've never seen that before or thought of that before, but it is all over scripture. Technology is not something that was invented in the 20th century. Um, I showed you traces of it all the way back in Genesis in many ways. And even what the psalmist was saying in Psalm 20 and verse 7, when the psalmist said, some trust in Chariots and horses was a technological observation, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And so this has been going on for thousands of years. We just feel the heat of it in where we are today in the 21st century with technology. Um, today, I want to talk to you more about the heart uh, and technology. And specifically, I'm going to visit with you about what how we drift into technology becoming our master instead of our servant. Amen? I talked yesterday more about just the theology of technology. I'm going to talk to you about the drift, you know, because we all tend to drift there, or a lot of us tend to uh, in our life. Nobody wakes up and decides they want to ruin their life intentionally, right? Uh, you don't go from A to Z overnight. Amen? A to B, B to C, C to D, and before you know it, you wake up and your milk, the corn has grown over your head, you know? And um, so that is what I'm going to be doing uh, with you. So let's begin by one of the oldest stories in the world involving technology, and that is the story of the Tower of Babel. It's a story about people embracing a new technology among them. And so you read in Genesis chapter 11 that the whole world had one language and common speech. And as people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And then you read in the text, they used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. And you read this, you're like, who cares? Why are they telling us this detail? But we're being told this detail for a reason. This is the story behind 
how they had the capacity to build a, a tower like never before. This is significant. It's the first mention of them using bricks and mortar. Uh, if you've ever tried to build something just stacking raw stones, you understand this. I grew up in northwest Austin, grew up in Texas, northwest Austin. And uh, we had some acreage behind our house in the hills of northwest Austin. And my buddies and I, when we were little boys, would go back there and try and build forts. We never could build the wall of a fort more than about maybe a foot and a half off the ground. And it drove me crazy. We had all these awesome limestone rocks, chunks of limestone that we would just stack expensive stuff today that people pay. We had it just everywhere. I didn't realize how rich we were, you know, just naturally in this area. And so we were, we began stacking and I couldn't get the wall any higher than about 18 inches off the ground because the stones are oblong and they don't, they don't fit even and you can't stack stones very well. It's a disaster. Bricks are uniform. You shape them the same, you stack them together, they got corners and edges, and with bricks, you can go far and you can go high, and that's what they begin to realize. So they say, we got bricks and mortar. Let's bake bricks thoroughly, and let's build a tower. Let's see how high this thing can go. And so then you go on and you read, Genesis 11 and 4. Then they said, come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, you know how the story ends, and if you don't, this is a teaser. You can read it sometime. The short of this is, God isn't crazy about what they're doing. But did you notice their mo motive? They want to make a name for themselves, and they want to stay gathered. Now, I, we were in Genesis 1 yesterday, and one of the things, if you remember, the Lord tells humanity in Genesis 1, He wants them to fill the earth. This is a great example of but many of humanity departing from what God had instructed them to do. He said, I want you to fill the earth. What do they want to do? They don't want to fill the earth. They want to stay gathered. And they want to make a name for themselves. I would suggest to you that this story has played out this way over and over for thousands of years around the world. Only now our technology, just like their technology with bricks and mortar, now our technology becomes another vehicle for us to make our life all about us. Listen to the language. iPad, iPhone, iPod, selfie. Listen to our language. Nothing bad with that language, but just listen. If you just lift your head up and listen to what's happening. You know, they're, those aren't bad words, but they're powerful descriptions of our life without technology. It's, there's a series that's all the rage in Europe. Some people are watching it here called Black Mirror. And it envisions what our culture and what technology is going to be like 15 years from now. And it's not an optimistic series, to say the least. It's it's called black mirror in, in a reference to, to how our devices appear when they're off. In just a moment, this thing will fade to black. It becomes as a black mirror. You can see the, your reflection in it. And one of the things that the series is suggesting is that our relationship with technology is leading to darker lives because we're making it all about us. And this is how we begin to drift. It's how we begin to drift. It's, 
because the reality is life isn't all about me. That's the reality. But it's just what I fall asleep to a lot in my culture today, right? Because we live in a culture that traffics in the narrative that it is all about me. You know? and, and in one sense, we need to understand something, that while God summons me, He calls me by name, He redeems me, He saves me, He loves me, He walks with me through fire and water, all of this is Isaiah 43. He also says in Isaiah 43, I made you for my glory. And my glory includes you, but it's not all about you. There's a difference between you being the object of God's affection and you being the center of God's universe. You're the object of God's affection. You're not the center of His universe. But one of the hazardous things about technology is it, it leads us constantly to where we're consumed with our reflection in it. And that's where we begin to drift. And things only get darker in our lives, and it becomes a black mirror. We drift off course three ways, just really quickly. The first is this. We drift off course using technology for escape. Some of us drift off course using it for escape. Some of us use it to escape from the work of the present moment, or we escape from the people of the present moment, or we escape from the really important questions of the present moment. Or we escape from getting up and moving in service, or even in exercise. <laughs> And if you're not careful, you can amuse or entertain yourself to death. I think about all the time I've lost on my device, confessional. I open up Facebook, I see a funny video, and then I see an article about a scandal involving an entertainer, and then I, a pop-up slideshow appears of 20 actors who've aged terribly, and I need to see that to compare myself to them. And then a video of a doctor popping pimples appears. And then there's a post by a friend and his wife who are on vacation at an, some incredible island. And I have to see all the pictures of that and think about how come I haven't gotten to go there. And then I see another post on our president and then I get lost in all the fighting and the comment section of the post and on and on. And before I know it, I've lost half an hour. Can you relate? You know. And the people that are who run the sites, they understand this. You know, it's one reason why there's such divisiveness in our culture over religion or politics is because there are algorithms that are tracking what you click on on your computer. And it's keeping track of the stories you click on about political opponents or entertainers. And, and, and so it, it keeps track of you, click on it, and it knows, oh, you must like that, and it feeds you 10 more stories like that. And so before you know it, you're getting this steady stream of stories about one angle on a political figure, and you begin to think, how can the world think any differently? Look at all these stories out here. But you're just getting one vein of stories because it's giving you what you're clicking on. And it's just confirming your bias, and it's just, and they're playing you. You ever bought something online? The next thing you know, the next week, you get 10 more ads for the shoes you just bought. They're playing you. They're nudging you like I talked about yesterday. And this is how we wind up getting into this, we escape down this rabbit hole to where we begin to think, well, the whole world, goodness, there's 500 stories on this person or this angle. How can everybody miss this? And that's because you keep clicking on them. They keep giving you 10 more stories like it because the last thing they want to do is give you a story that hacks you off because then you'll leave their site and then you won't notice their advertising. 
Decades ago, C.S. Lewis talked about the nothing strategy of Satan in his screw tape letters. And, you know, the, the premise of the screw tape letters is you got a senior demon discipling a junior demon for how to lead you and me astray. <laughs> and um, the nothing strategy that the senior demon is talking about with the junior demon basically is a strategy that leaves a believer at the end of their life saying, I spent most of my life doing neither what I liked nor what I ought. I just did nothing. And the senior demon goes on to say this, the nothing strategy is very strong. It's strong enough to steal a person's best years, not in sweet sins, but listen to this. He wrote this 80 years ago, but in the dreary flickering of the mind, in the gratification of curiosity so feeble that a person is only half aware of them. Think about this. When you're clicking on stuff online, you're just kind of feebly interested. You're going, you know, from the stories of the vacation fix to the scandalous story about the entertainer of the religious figure to the, oh, I've got an advertisement, a pair of shoes. On and on, C.S. Lewis wrote this 70 years ago, on and on in the long, dim labyrinth of reveries that once chance association has started them, the creature is too weak and fuddled to shake them off. He wrote this 80 80 years ago. Is that not stunning? Long before, and yet, does dreary flickering describe this device? Chance association, one story to another? Before you know it, you've lost an hour. And we flounder instead of flourish. Remember our word flourish yesterday from Genesis 1? Meant to flourish, but we flounder. So some of us drift off through escape. We use our devices for escape. Others of us drift off using our devices for esteem. Esteem. It's the place some people go to for likes, for affirmations, for validation, for followers. Now, I know some of you are thinking, what is he talking about? I had a sweet fellow yesterday say, I can't even turn my phone on. I said, listen, then you're in great shape. This is for all of us who can't turn our phones off, okay? So just enjoy the ride, you know? It's the place that people go to for likes, for followers, for affirmation, for validation. And, and it's so easy for a lot of people to get preoccupied with the number of likes on a post or an Instagram or the number of followers they have. And what these are is I, these are micro bursts of approval. Just a little micro burst of approval. Oh, 98 people like that picture we posted of our family. You'll see this. There's entire businesses, I know I've been contacted, that will have said, hey, we'll, we will beef up your number of followers on your social media account by 5,000, Chris, for, for $100 a month. In other words, we will buy, we will pay people pennies a day to follow you so that when people pull up your social media account, that, that they can see how many followers you have. Some of you think, why would that be a big deal? Because other people who are trying to publish me, they're concerned about how many followers I have before they decide to, do you see what I'm saying? And so you have this huge game being played right now. And so a lot of people, this is something that all of our younger brothers and sisters in our churches are dealing with. You know, most of the students in, in our church 
their, their sense of esteem is tied to how many followers they have on Instagram. No. Asina O'Neill was a 19-year-old Australian girl. She was one of the early Instagram celebrities. She had more than 500,000 Instagram followers. She's a teenager in Australia. She was making huge amounts of money as a teenager because she had so many followers on her Instagram feed that advertisers were also paying to advertise on her Instagram feed. It's a huge deal. We've got a professional basketball player uh, at our church. Um, he, he's got several hundred thousand followers on Twitter. He is paid by, he gets paid by companies just to retweet an advertisement. He'll make 10 grand like that for pushing just the retweet button. Isn't that stunning? A huge world out here like that. But this is Asina O'Neill. She's 19 and here's what she says. One day she quit cold turkey. Two years ago, she just quit. She went, got totally off social media. She said this, over-sexualization, perfect food photos, <laughs> perfect travel video logs. It's textbook for how I got famous, but it consumed me. I spent ages 12 to 16 wishing I was someone else. Then I spent ages 16 to 19 constantly molding myself, editing, and self-promoting the best parts of my life which turned into a massive career based on numbers and how I looked aesthetically. Being born into this screen-dominated age, I was taught to mold myself in order to gain social validation. You know, to get the likes and to get the retweets. I've simply now just chosen to take myself out of the sculpting studio in the end, I was a living paradox of conditional self-love and constant self-hate. My self-worth relied on my social approval. I was trapped in a cycle that became more empty, hateful, jealous, and insecure. I rose and fall based upon how many nice things were being said about me and how many negative things were being said about me. She lives her life. She lived her life online. She said, I now want to put all those hours I looked into a screen into my real life goals and personal relationships. I don't know if she's a believer or not, but I think she was describing the struggle. She woke up one morning, and here's what she realized. She wasn't flourishing like she thought. She wasn't flourishing like she thought. And you would be surprised how often this goes on, really. In fact, I, I, it's amazing how much, how, how much time I spend with people in pastoral counseling that a lot of what they're vexed about is stuff they're seeing online in other people's lives. You know, here's a little clue. When you're looking at other people's lives on Facebook, you are seeing their highlight reel. I think you know that. And don't fault them for that. It's not always vanity. They're just celebrating a good thing in their life. They're wanting to share it. Amen? And so that's how we learn about good things. But, I, but a lot of times they're like, my life isn't like that. It, it's, it seems like everybody's going to an island or everybody's on vacation or everybody's getting a new car because that's the stuff that's being posted online, right? And then you feel like, I haven't been on vacation. I haven't gone to an island. I haven't had a new car in years. Everybody's having a marvelous life except for me. And so people, a lot of times, they, they've tied their whole sense of how they feel about life and view of life to what they're seeing through the screens. And it's become a black mirror for some people. And sooner or later, using technology as a way of finding esteem can come back to bite us. You know what? If you live for the praise of others, you'll die by their rejection. 
And if you live for the praise of others, you'll die by their rejection. And people are fickle. Eventually, they'll reject you. Or they'll critique you. Or they'll second-guess you. Um, but then there's a third way we drift off. You know, we drift off, some of us using it for escape, some of us use it for esteem. And then there's a third way we drift off. Sometimes we drift off using it for ego, which is a close cousin to esteem. Uh, a lot of you remember the Greek myth Narcissus. You know, he, he took great pride in his appearance, and one of his enemies noticed about this about him and led him to a pool and encouraged him to see his reflection in the pool. You know that? And Narcissus became so preoccupied with how he looked in his reflection, he couldn't look away. He fell in love with himself. So much so that he lost the capacity to distinguish himself from his reflection. He didn't want to eat. He didn't want to sleep. He just wanted to stare. And he eventually lost his will to care for himself. And he stared at his reflection until he died. A lot of people are staring at their reflection until they die. Huge, huge matter. Now, Narcissus, of course, is the origin of the term for narcissism, which is to be fixated on the image of yourself. And I, I think you could say technology has afforded us the opportunity to become digital narcissists. And you can become quite consumed with your online image. I, I read an interesting piece the other day um, that talked about how difficult it is to really find out what's going on in somebody's life through Facebook or Instagram. Because like I said earlier, we pick and choose what we want to put on ourselves, put, put of ourselves online. You know, we tend to put the best version of ourselves out there. For instance, this is statistically true. Owners of BMWs and Mercedes are found on Facebook posts. Um, they're, they're, they're found more often to be posting on what car they have more than any other owner of any kind of car. If owners of BMWs and Mercedes are two and a half times more likely to share on Facebook what kind of car they own. Why? Because BMW and Mercedes is a status symbol. Nobody is going to advertise their Ford Pinto. Hey, I drive a Ford Pinto. <laughs> drive a Toyota Corolla. Nobody's going to do that. But if somebody gives you a Mercedes or that you buy a Mercedes, you buy a BMW or something like that, you're, you might be prone to putting that because you're excited about that. You know, so interesting. The Las Vegas budget hotel, but, here, but on the flip side, if so if if owners of BMWs and Mercedes are two and a half more times more likely to post about and put their car online, hey, I drive this, than owners of other cars, what are you inclined to think? Everybody has a BMW and Mercedes except for me. Nobody's posting about their Toyota Corolla. You know, you begin to think, what's going on? You know? The Las Vegas budget hotel Circus Circus has the same number of rooms as the Bellagio. Same number of rooms as the Bellagio. But the Bellagio gets three times as many check-ins on Facebook. Why? Because if you're at the Bellagio, you want everybody to know that you're staying at the Bellagio. If you're at Circus Circus, you don't. What's going on there? Think about that. This is, this is funny across the board. When it comes to men and music, this is really funny. On Facebook, Men tend to underplay their interest in female artists on Facebook. So Bob Marley, Bob Marley, Kendrick West, or excuse me, uh, Kanye West, Kendrick Lamar, maybe not Kanye this week with everything going on with them, but 
Kendrick Lamar, they get far more likes from men than Katy Perry on Facebook. But if you look at Spotify statistics, men ages 29 to 40 listen to Katy Perry far more than Marley, Kanye, and Kendrick Lamar combined. In other words, Spotify don't lie. Because that's tracking what men are actually listening to. And so men are over here liking masculine artists, but the whole time they're listening to a female artist. The piece went on to talk about how, we, how what you search for on Google may tell you more about who we really are than the words we type or the pictures we share on Instagram or Snapchat. In other words, um, Google is more digital truth serum. Let me tell you what I mean. Just next time you're on a computer, just type in, I always, and then back off from the computer and watch Google fill it in. And the most common responses Google comes up is tell you, tells you what people are really struggling with. I always, number one, am sad. That's the most common thing people are typing in. I always am depressed. I always am angry. Number four, I always have to go to the bathroom. What's my point? If you really want to find out where people really are, it's Google search that reveals more where the people really are than Instagram posts and Facebook posts. Because when you're typing in Google search, you have a problem and you're trying to find resources. Amen? You say, Chris, what are you talking about? All I'm saying is this. That for some, we drift in our use of technology through escape. Others drift in our use of technology for esteem. Others drift in our use of technology for ego. And it's easy to drift off course. And this is how you move from technology being a servant to technology being master. And believe it or not, there's a whole generation of people out there that are inclined to work more on their online image than on their character in the real world. And a lot of us are feeling this tension in our life. It's easy to drift off course. So how do you stop the drift? I'm going to close by giving you three suggestions. And then I've got to catch a flight. And I'll send you all my notes. That's my email address up there. I think we stop the drift, number one, through fixing our eyes on Jesus. I gave you some real concrete suggestions yesterday about technology. You can listen to the recording. But Jesus is necessary. Why? Because through fixing my eyes on Jesus, I'm constantly reminded to find my sense of worth in what God has done for me through Him rather than what others are saying about me or critiquing me or thinking about me. Through fixing my eyes on Jesus, I find the strength to respond to what I need to deal with in the present instead of trying to escape from it. Through fixing my eyes on Jesus, I find a call to ask a different question. And the question isn't, how many followers do I have? The question is, how many followers does he have? And how can I stay present with this person in front of me and love them and pay attention to them so that I can be an instrument of Jesus's who seeks to draw them to him through me. 
There's some great resources out there. I would encourage the TechWise family by Andy Crouch to be one resource. By the way, I will send you this reading list too if you email me. I'll send you the reading list of my best resources. The TechWise family by Andy Crouch is awesome. Um, there's a great study out called Right Click, Parenting Your Teenager in a Digital Media World. Parenting Your Teenager in a Digital Media World. It's done by the Fuller Youth Institute here in Pasadena. It's awesome. If you have teens, if you're thinking through this, parenting your teenager in a digital media world. I'll send you that information. Um, 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You by Tony Reinke. 12 Ways Your Phone is Changing You. All of these are helpful just when it comes to thinking through. What does it look like to fix my eyes on Jesus and embrace some very practical disciplines? Which really leads to my second suggestion. I think to stop the drift, I've got to fix my eyes on Jesus, and I've got to embrace a discipline when it comes to my devices. The word disciple and the word discipline go together. It's impossible to be a disciple without embracing some role of discipline in your life. You know, there's such a thing as godly training. Godly training brings promise, not just for the next life, but for this life. Amen? Godly training. And then finally, our third one is through a persistent surrendering of our hearts to Him. I find that technology is like money or power. Money or power doesn't necessarily change anybody immediately. It just exposes where they are. And as we learn where we are, sometimes peering into our black mirrors, it's there we begin to ask God to transform us from the inside out. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm being paged by my co-ride, Rick Ashley. So I think it's time that I have to leave for the airport. And so I leave you with this blessing from Psalm yet again. May the Lord cause you and your children to flourish. Go in peace. Thank you. Email me. I'll send you the notes. God bless you.